0: You know, I' telling you, like once every twenty, twenty five episodes, we just have this weird voodoo day where nothing works, um, and it's it's very painful. So, welcome to the hot aisle. This morning, we have to move at a feverish pace. We have a guest on today who has a very limited window, and Skype has been giving us all sorts of issues. So, let's get to it. The goal of the show. Um, listen, we're all over the map today, but but in a great way. We we've, we've got someone here that can talk about all the things that are top of mind for us, from advanced analytics, IoT, artificial intelligence, Hadoop, big data, all the buzzwords that we love and know, and we're going to dive into those. So uh, today we have with us Mike Gualtieri from Forrester. So, Mike, you're the VP and principal analyst at Forrester. Tell us a little bit about what you do and what your background is, and then, then we'll dive right into it. Yeah, so I'm a technology
1: analyst, and and for Forrester, and what that means is that I I try to understand what large enterprises are doing from a business technology standpoint, and then I also try to understand what the software and hardware vendors are doing from a technology standpoint, and try to help each one of those make sense of the other. That's awesome. So, sure. and, yeah. And yeah. So- and, that, and that. Yeah. So I mean, my my. So what that involves is I write reports um, about these technologies, uh, do a lot of speeches, do a lot of advisory days for clients, uh, take a lot of calls uh, with questions. So I'm, I'm deep in the market.
2: Yeah. And when we and when we found you, you know, I actually found you through somebody who'd uh, mentioned you in a tweet and we were looking at it. Right. And you're uh, you're looking at things like advanced analytics, uh, IOT or the Internet of Things, artificial intelligence. And like, uh, you know, I have so many questions. One of the one of my favorite parts of your your Twitter bio was actually that you said you're a storyteller. So I kind of want to hit that first. Uh, what is it that you, you know, kind of like why do you want to say that you're a storyteller and then what kind of stories are you telling to people?
0: There's a lot of
1: complicated technology out there um, and often the buyers, the people who are making the decisions on this technology, they can't understand all of the gory details of that. Uh, So it's important to make sense of what is that technology. The most important thing is how can it be linked to business outcomes, business results. Uh, So when I say I'm a tech storyteller, that's the story I'm trying to tell. So I'm trying to tell the buyers of technologies, the large enterprises who are Forrester's clients, try to understand a new technology, like deep learning, for example. Uh, something like, 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 without explaining uh, how neural networks actually work, um, to what degree can they use it today, how can it improve their business?
2: Yeah, so let's actually hit that because that was my biggest curiosity. You know, when we look at, when we look at like ITs, large enterprises, small enterprises, people understand where analytics fits in their business. People are starting mm-hmm. to get a grasp around IoT. But then you get this artificial intelligence and you get all the deep learning and things like that. And I don't understand how Google putting eyeballs on pictures has anything to do with what my enterprise <laughs> is doing and how I can sell more things. So can you explain to me why artificial intelligence and deep learning matters, matters to me?
1: So when you think about it, so, so you have to understand that there's different phrases that are used to express the same thing. So you probably hear a lot about machine learning, machine learning, deep learning, AI, advanced analytics, predictive analytics. Many of those terms overlap and synonymous, but the biggest thing that any and all of those technologies can do uh, for an enterprise is to create a predictive model. right? So you want to use technology to create a model that can predict characteristics about your customers that you don't know, predict behavior, predict propensity to buy, uh, predict whether or not they're going to uh, say it's a mobile customer, whether they're going to go to a rival. So, when you think about those technologies from a business standpoint, the lowest hanging free, fruit is to think, okay, how can I use the data that I've collected to create a predictive model? And if you think about your organization, think about any business process. If you walk through that business process and you say, is there something I could predict here that would make this business process more efficient? Or if you walk through a customer journey, is there something I could predict here about this customer that would make their experience more individualized, more personalized? So that's, that's really what all of these technologies are mostly about. Um, there's another side of it that's just about raw discovery um, uh, in data, those questions that you don't know to ask. But by, by and large, uh, using, whether it's AI, whether you call it machine learning, it's to find predictive models.
2: And so, and who, would, who go wouldn't ahead. want a predictive model? Who wouldn't want a predictive model? Uh, I can't imagine personally. I mean, there's a lot of people who probably don't understand yet what it is that a predictive model does for their business. Um, so why don't we go ahead and do that, right? So I've, I've said, okay, I believe you that I need deep learning, uh, and I need a predictive model. Teach me what a predictive model is to my business, and then how am I actually going to leverage that? Uh, again, since you're saying I've got to spend some money to do something, and in return I'm doing something that makes sense to my business, what am I leveraging exactly? And give me an example of what that does for my business. Okay, I'll give you
1: two examples, but but let's not let's not over rotate on the term deep learning. Okay. Okay. Let's put that aside. It's a it's a more complicated subject. Let's go to machine learning. Okay. Okay. Pure machine learning. All right. So here's an IoT example. Um, many manufacturing companies, logistics companies, a lot of machinery, a lot of equipment. You know, whether it's a conveyor belt or an automated guided vehicle in a manufacturing facility, um, or or a farm tractor, those are very heavily instrumented with sensors. And if you think of your car, for example, you have that little dial that says, "Okay, I need an oil change every," you know, it just tells you when you need an oil change, right? You may be giving your car too many oil changes. Right? So that cost you money, more money. What if there was a sensor, and some of the cars have this, that looked at the viscosity of that oil and then could learn your driving habits and learn from other sensors of the car exactly the optimized time uh, to give that oil change. So the same is true with machinery. And also with machinery, what happens if a machine breaks down uh, and the line stops? Right, That can be very costly as well. So would it be great to have a predictive model that predicted a machine failure before it fails, so you could take proactive uh, steps to prevent that failure, and wouldn't it be nice if you have a predictive model that would optimize how much you spend on maintenance by doing just-in-time maintenance? So that's an IoT example. Here's a customer example, um, and and I'll just go a little bit deeper on the one I gave before. Say you're a large uh, mobile phone carrier. Wouldn't it be nice to know in advance which customers are likely to switch to go off your service, right, and go to arrival. Because if you knew that 30 days in advance or 60 days in advance or even 14 days in advance, well, maybe you can do something from a marketing standpoint, you can take certain actions with that customer to resolve their problem. So that's two examples of a predictive model. Now, another one other example which I think will resonate, recommendation engines are predictive models. Netflix uses machine learning to generate those recommendations. And, and it's a little more sophisticated than you might think. When when recommendations engines first started, it was like if you watch this movie, uh, people who also watch this movie watch this movie, right? It's more sophisticated that, because it looks at your viewing patterns. So that model gets more and more sophisticated. So that they use machine learning. Amazon uses machine learning uh, for their recommendation engine as well. So any business that wants to make a recommendation to a customer, wants to predict whether a customer is going to leave, wants to predict if a machine is going to break down. Um, That's all about prediction and machine learning um, can create predictive models from data.
0: Yeah, I think that's actually interesting. So um, I watched your video, you talked about using machine learning to find a predictive model. Six easy steps and you were chopping up a bunch of fruit and doing a whole bunch of things with it. So those six steps, what are they? Um, And it seems pretty quick to consume.
1: Understanding the data, because, you know, the first thing, all machine learning is, is analysis of data, right? So it is a form of advanced analytics. So you have to, you know, a typical enterprise, a large enterprise can have a portfolio of hundreds and sometimes thousands of applications, all with potentially useful data. The thing with machine learning is you don't know in advance what of that information is useful, right? So the first thing is to understand what data that you have. And then the second step is to bring it together in an analytical data set, a data set that the algorithms will know how to use. The third step is, this is where the data scientist comes in. The third step is that the data scientist runs an algorithm uh, against that data, a machine learning algorithm. So they might run uh, a random forest algorithm, there's many different types of algorithm, neural network algorithm against that data. And the algorithm actually looks through that data and tries to decide which data is important. And it always comes up with a model. You know, the question is if that model is valid. So now what you have to do, okay, is this model any good? So the fourth step is to evaluate the model. And it's a little complicated um, how that happens, Uh, but you evaluate the model, And you see if that model is good. And then if it is good, you deploy it out in the field. Now, remember, all predictive models are based upon correlation, not causation. All right. So if you took a statistics or a math class, you know, your statistics professor probably told you a a zillion times correlation does not equal causation. But that's exactly what machine learning models are. They correlate data. So it can be dangerous. So you deploy that model. And then the final step is to monitor it. Make sure that it's still working, um, and it's not that you come up with a predictive model once. You're monitoring that model, and you're seeing if it decays in, in the probability. Remember, all predictions that come out of these models are based upon a probability, right? So, if you need a hundred percent probability, um, don't use this method. You know, use scientific uh, research. You know, with a with a controlled experiment. Um, so, you're constantly remodeling. And then once you're really happy with the model, it's like, hmm, gee, this is 77% accurate. This is really cool because I didn't have a predictive model before. Then you start thinking, hmm, what if I could make this more accurate? What if I could make it 80% accurate? So now the data scientist's job is to to try to throw more data at it, to try to use different algorithms to try to make that that model more accurate. And if you think about... um, uh, risk models for banks or approving of loans or or certain sort of marketing activities, a very small percentage um, in accuracy,
0: you know, can, can have uh, millions of dollars in business implications. Sure, sure. So at Spark Summit, I think that was just in February uh, of this year, you talked specifically about this acronym MMLA, right? So Massive Machine Learning Automation yeah. as being the future of data science. So talk to us about what MMLA is and, and why it's going to be the future of data science. Sure, so um, you know, data science, we talk about machine learning and,
1: and data science as if it's new, but it's been around for a while. It's been around since the 70s and then sort of got a boost in the 80s with some new algorithms. But in the 80s, if you were working on machine learning, you know what you were working on? If you were working on um, trying to uh, uh, make the algorithms go faster, because you were running them on <laughs> mini computers, 386s, 486 computers, you just you didn't have the compute power. So a lot of the research focused on uh, making the algorithms more effective. The other thing you didn't have in the 80s is you didn't have a whole bunch of data, right? Now that we have a digitally connected world, everyone's on the web, mobile, uh, you have a lot more data to work with. So, so now today we have compute power and, and potentially unlimited at a low cost, right? If you think about the cloud, And we have a whole lot more data. So that's why this whole field has has gotten uh, a a lift and, and a lot of focus. So that's changed. What hasn't changed is the way the data science goes through that process I just described. And it's a very iterative process, and the data scientist is involved at every step of the way. Now, what I didn't tell you about that process is I said, look, they get the data set, they run an algorithm, and then they evaluate it. If it works, then they deploy it. But most of the time, it doesn't work. So they're like, oh, this is not working. So um, they'll try a different algorithm. That's not working. They'll try another algorithm. That's not working. They'll try new parameters on that algorithm. That's not working. And then they'll say, "Okay, well, maybe I'm missing some data. Uh, And they might talk to a business domain expert. Hey, do you think there's any data? Oh, yes, there's a system in our Denver office that generates some data source. Let's try to bring that in oh, now I'm getting a signal, right, on that, on that data. So now I have a good model. So that is a very iterative process. So massive machine learning automation, it essentially automates that process for the data scientist. The data scientist is still involved, but instead of the data scientist running one algorithm it not working, running another one, what the data scientist does, he says, you know what? I think we will run 80 algorithms against this data set. And they press a button, they let it rip, and, and that speeds up the process. Um, so all of the internet giants, the Googles, the Netflix, um, you know, Facebook, anyone who's, who's doing a lot of prediction and, and machine learning, they have built these type of um, uh, systems themselves uh, to, autom- to semi-automate the process. Now there's vendors out in the marketplace that are starting to do this um, for enterprises as well.
0: Very cool. So speaking of the Googles, um, Google just opened up its cloud machine learning to basically in beta to businesses. And um, mm-hmm. so uh, I don't exactly know what that is, but what does that mean? And then I guess the follow-up question would be, where do you think this kind of machine learning thing will live? Will it will it ultimately live in the cloud or will it be on premises or be a combination of, of all of those things? It's
1: It's going to be a combination, but I think Um, more of it is going to live in the cloud. Uh, And the reason for that is because when you're training, it's called training a model. When you're running algorithms against a model, it's called training the model. So when you're training the model, uh, these tend to be very compute intensive jobs uh, where you you need a lot of compute power, but not then you don't need it, right? So the cloud is perfect for that sort of elastic uh, type of infrastructure uh, that you need. It's also a good uh, repository uh, for a data lake to store all that data as well. Now, the reason why some of this may be done um, on-prem as well is because data scientists still, there's sort of a tinkering um, uh, that goes on here as well. And maybe it may be tinkering in the cloud, but but they may not, due to policies of the enterprise, be able to easily get that data out there without going through a rigmarole, right? So... So, that, so that's what we're seeing right now, is that the cloud's very attractive, um, and companies are definitely moving to the cloud. But when you just pick some random data source and say, you know what, I want to try that. Take me five minutes to try it. Just, just give that to me. Well, you know, the idea that you can just put that on the cloud, right now, I think the governance and the policy of enterprise is still probably stricter than it will be in the future, so it, it makes it more difficult. Um, there's another variation on this, too, which is uh, deep learning. Um, deep learning is about it is about training neural networks. So it's a, it's a subfield off of machine learning. It's very promising. It's enormously compute intensive, uh, especially math intensive. So the way to do uh, deep learning fast is to use GPUs. So NVIDIA, Intel, they have GPUs they are targeting for this area of deep learning. So you could actually envision um, an appliance uh, as well, that was optimized for this type of learning. And certainly that service or appliance could be in the cloud. Um, but I think there's a lot of shops that would that would uh, see the be- the cost benefits of, of of doing that locally as well.
2: And so the people who are leveraging uh, you know this these uh, different models who are trying to do these things, you keep mentioning all the data scientists, and while you're talking about it, you know like my first question out of my mind is like, wow, so you're a kid today you know how do you teach somebody to go you know like do you say hey you should be going into data science because uh, you know that's the future but then everything's moving so fast it feels like by the time they finally got there if it was even four years from now like they're just starting college it feels like the business would have changed so fast we're not even sure where it's going so my first question for you is what is the definition kind of sort of what a data scientist is and then secondly is you know how would you suggest somebody who's not there or looking to get there Kind of start their path of doing that, I think it's kind of a, a very nebulous thing right now.
1: So a, da- a data scientist understands t- statistical and, and machine learning algorithms. They don't have to write those algorithms, right? Th- these algorithms are, have, have been well researched in academia and then they've been implemented by various vendors or in the open source, like you mentioned Google. Google has implementations of, of certain algorithms. So a data scientist doesn't have to write those algorithms, But they have to understand how to apply them and in what situations to apply them remember that whole iterative process i told you there's hundreds of variations of algorithms which one should you use right so massive machine learning would say look just try them all Um, uh, so they have to understand uh, that and how to apply it Um, i think what People need to think about is how will these machine learning learning models uh, manifest themselves. Well, we're already seeing the big vendors: uh, Salesforce with Einstein and and uh, IBM with Watson and Oracle with with what they've announced and Microsoft with it. So they're all focused on this, and their intent is to have pre-built models, right? So that so that they can build AI and models into their applications and solutions. So. It's going to be as much of a buy as it is a build. Um, so, you know, my recommendation for for a data scientist is that look, um, application developers, um, uh, what you know, what what kind of apps are you going to build when when they're when they can be full of prediction? So, it's really application developers who can use this who can use these models to build uh, a, an entirely new set of apps. So, I would say. Um, I would love to be an application developer who also had data science jobs.
2: So, and that's kind of interesting. You actually mentioned something that was a follow on question. We were curious about kind of data science as a service, right, so I'm a shop that maybe doesn't have somebody who's that curious or doesn't even have development talent. Um, And I have somebody who could kind of sort of get me there. Maybe they're slightly technical, but I really do need to leverage this in some way. Is there a true data science as a service type experience or is this a, a fully consultative experience? Like how how can people consume this from just a, I just need to get this for a little bit, but I don't have any experience doing it myself.
1: I'm not sure what you mean by as a service. There's certainly uh, consulting companies. All the big consulting companies have, have practices on this and there's a lot of boutique ones. Um, uh, but building a model is very project oriented. Right. So you can go to places like Upwork and there's other types of online services where you can match people with expertise. Um, as a service though, um, that's pretty difficult. So, the, so what we've seen out there with uh, Hewlett Packard Enterprise with Haven On Demand or Watson Services and now Microsoft with their Cortana um, and Google is this notion of a pre-built model. Right? So that whole process I talked to you about where you train the model. What they've done is they've pre-trained models in certain domains like image analysis, facial recognition. Like, like, for example, you don't have to build a model to analyze an image. Google has a service where you give it an image and it will tell you you're happy. The, there's three people there. There's an airplane there. They're in an auditorium. Right. So, so there's pre-built services that, that you can use as well. So there's different ways to consume this. Enterprises will probably always need some sort of data science function, but they'll also probably look at applications such as Oracle and Salesforce who have AI built in. So that's the buy, um, and then they may use some of these pre-built models uh, just to build in uh, directly to their application. But but the pre-trained models are very specific domains. It's not going to be you know particular to their business.
0: Okay, sure. So moving to moving to like things like advanced analytics. We talked about predictive models. Um, we all know about the kind of the, the weird Google AI stuff. So when we specifically go into uh, into AI or artificial intelligence, I think there's probably a lot of consternation around that. Right. I mean, we, we all think of Terminator and Skynet and, yeah. and Bill Gates and Elon Musk have basically said it's like summoning a demon. Right. So what are the truths behind that? What are the fail safes and um, you know where where should we look to 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 leverage that, and rather than be scared of it?
1: You see that article the other day? It was like two two days ago, and yeah, two days ago in
0: Hollywood Reporter, and it was about um, uh, doomsday
1: bunkers of the rich and famous.
2: Yes, I just yeah, saw, I that saw that this that. morning. <laughs> Isn't that cool? And they mentioned
1: Bill Gates, and I'm like thinking, yeah. So so is he is is he building that bunker maybe to protect against the coming robots, right? Hmm? That are, are going to decide that the problem is us. And they're going to come after us, right? Like the Matrix or, or anything. Um, I I think we're a long way away from having to worry about that um, because you know what you can do in AI right now is so very narrow, um, and so so I don't I don't think that actually is gonna become a problem. I think it's a valid question for any technology. I mean look at all the weapons technology. Look at, you know, so so it's really gonna it's really gonna depend upon us if it's used for for good and bad. And it will probably be used for a little bit of both. But I love those bunkers. Did you see that? Luxury, swimming. Oh pool. yeah.
0: They're beautiful.
1: It's like, yeah. Probably that probably has a lot of safes with like gold coins and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is the
2: yeah. swimming pool filled with gold coins? Because if so, like I, you know, we're really just saying that AI is going to turn us all into a Disney movie. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, as we look towards, uh, let's let's roll back a little bit, right? We've gone really far forward. We've talked about, uh, you know, all the stuff as far as like machine learning, deep learning, all these kind of cool things. But then you know the more mainstream stuff that we see today right the, the kind of big data that we talk about uh and we've had we've seen you in, in you know spark summits and talking about uh, hadoop anomics and things like that um you know the prevailing feeling that i have is that hadoop has had a, lo- a time and it was a loud time but then there's a lot of other things popping up that are making it almost yeah. less relevant um, and so, I'm curious your take on Hadoop as a whole, uh, as well as the market for that type of consumption. Uh, you know, in, in these big data projects inside enterprises.
1: I, I hear what you're saying about Hadoop, and that's why I often refer to it as Hadoop and friends, because it's you know, it, it, uh, Hadoop is evolving, and it's not just one open source project. Right now, there's Apache Spark, which is a separate project, but designed to run on Hadoop. Uh, there's Kafka, which is you know a queue messaging queuing infrastructure. So that there's a whole, so there's a lot of activity um, in the open source community. There's Apache Flink, if you've heard of that, which is sort of like a Spark-like uh, uh, platform. So there's a lot of excitement about the open source and especially the cluster computing model because it's changed the economics of of being able to experiment with data. If you think of a traditional data warehouse. Um, uh, hardware and software optimized together, um, you could be looking at anywhere from $25,000 to $100,000 per terabyte for that capability, right? And in a comparable uh, Hadoop environment, it could be about $1,500 or $3,500 per terabyte. Big cost differential. So if you're, if you're if you're a data scientist and you say, you know that churn model? The model that predicts whether or not customers uh, are going to leave, I think I can make that 3% more accurate, but I'm going to need to bring in that 100 terabytes of set top box data. Okay, that sounds great. Will that work? I don't know. I don't know until I try it. So what would be the cost of adding 100 terabytes to a traditional data warehouse? It's a pretty big ticket for not knowing whether that's going to work. But putting it in... Hadoop and running that same experiment is, is much more economical. So I, so I think that the open source um, uh, community, and especially the cloud, because now you can run these analysis, you don't have to buy a big appliance, that's sort of changing a company's uh, ability to experiment. So uh, Hadoop is evolving. Some people might say, look, do I really need Hadoop if I have Spark? Because the reality is all of, a lot of these machine learning jobs are occurring in Spark. So, okay, then what's Hadoop doing? Oh, well, that has HDFS, that has the storage. Well, guess what? That storage can be on Isilon, or that Spark can access it on Isilon. Spark can access it on S3 and Amazon. Spark can uh, analyze it on uh, uh, IBM Spectrum File System, or HPs for that matter. Uh, so there's, a, there's an argument that, that you know Hadoop has to become more, but I would argue that it is becoming more, um, and that it is growing along with the other... Uh, uh, open source, and that it is Hadoop and Friends.
2: Yeah, and so I'm actually going to hit one specific prediction. Um, Forrester predicts that 100% of all large enterprises will adopt Hadoop. Uh, So first question is, was that your prediction? Uh, And then the second question is, is that Hadoop or Hadoop and Friends to get that 100%? That's,
1: That's my prediction, and that's Hadoop and Friends and right now it's, it's around the 50% range, uh, many more looking at it. I think less than 20% are not interested at this point. But what Hadoop is, and what it represents with the other tools, is a way to analyze data in a clustered computing environment. Um, and the reason why it's 100% is because we think it's as fundamental as a web server. It's as fundamental as a, uh, a SQL server, not, not necessarily Microsoft, an RDBMS. R- R- e- Right? So we think it's a fundamental technology, uh, analytic technology that every company will have. So it's not I don't think it's really much of a stretch. It may run in the cloud, but... Yeah.
2: They'll get it somehow. And then so the next thing is, uh, obviously early on, people went out and said, hey, I want to try something. Maybe they went out and consumed, uh, uh, consumed some sort of Hadoop experience. And then they kind of did the if you build it, they will come type thing. And it yeah. we saw a lot of early failures. And so... Do you feel like just like other open source things, as they get rapidly adopted, there was kind of a failure rate. Is that failure rate dropping now as people are learning how to consume it, why to consume it, and the best ways to do that? Is that getting better now? Are you seeing that trend?
1: I'm not seeing failures. Okay. Um, uh, you know, uh, maybe I'm only talking to happy people um, <laughs> <laughs> who see the, the the rainbow in a, in a failure. Um, you're right though. Um, the predominant attitude has been, okay, let's build the data lake and they will come, right? Because if you think about what the data scientist or even or even self-service business intelligence need, they need all of these sources together. Um, we could talk about virtualization too at a different time, but, but they need them all together and they think a data lake is the way to do that. So that makes sense. Um, and then the next journey is, okay, how do I provide self-service access for business intelligence? That's sort of the standard stuff that every enterprise does, reports and dashboards, but now how do I provide that to the data scientist? So most of the questions that I used to get in this whole topic area was more about Hadoop and what is it, and, and now uh, most of the questions are about the governance of the data in those platforms and also about predictive analytics and, and uh, machine learning. So they're marching up um, uh, sort of the value chain Um, And there's some companies, I know some cable companies and telecom that are uh, doing full-on machine learning models.
2: And so now I'm going to follow a little bit more. You've you've taught us a lot about uh, enterprises, you know, leveraging big data and even, you know, like how people are going to exploit it. But also you were talking earlier about how people are exploiting things like machine learning and things like that. In traditional enterprises, you know, when you ask people to deploy these things, you see maybe a team doing this and a team doing that. So I'm curious, is the team that is delivering and supporting and helping the, the enterprise consume big data, Hadoop type Hadoop and friends, is that the same team that can help an enterprise deliver and consume something like machine learning and those things or and even uh, you know well, IoT or is that a separate team?
1: It's a separate team in my experience and with most enterprises. So it it you know, the team that's setting up um, Hadoop, getting the data sources in, they're sort of setting that up for separate data science teams that will then use that, will will consume that.
2: Okay, so you've uh, we talked a little bit about sensors and things. So the last thing was kind of on your laundry list of things that you cover, uh, which is, you know, as wide as big data is wide, uh, was yeah. IoT. Um, mm-hmm. And so you know, tell me, you know, give me a couple of practical examples. You know, it's not the Fitbit type story, but where is IoT impacting kind of like enterprise, traditional enterprise operations today? Well, so
1: I, I mean, the first thing I would say is there's a ton of IoT applications already. Like if you talk to any of the big companies, they'll say, "Oh yeah, we we've, we've been doing IoT for 20 years," because they can, they point to any uh, solution that they helped create, whether it's in manufacturing or logistics, where there's sensors uh, taking information in and, and there's some software to control it. So so in a way, IoT, um, there, there's a lot of it already. Where it's going, um, where I think it needs to go, is to actually inject machine learning and more real-time streaming data into this. Because a lot of the sensor data is kind of collected for after-the-fact reporting, like traditional BI. Where it needs to go is, is, is to stream all of this data, detect patterns in that data that can detect for example that that machine's going to break down or to detect that customer is really interested in buying motorcycle helmets uh, so we should do something about that like in the next 100 milliseconds um, so so i think that the streaming aspect of it and and the ability to inject machine learning predictive models into that stream of iot data you know that's that's where the action's going to go right now the iot action is very much on the edge Um, discussing how do we collect that data, there's a a zillion different standards, it's kind of a mess, Um, but so it hasn't really gotten, it's kind of like where data, big data was, where you're pointing out, look, people are like they're setting up for it, they're building the data lake, and then they'll worry about how to do the intelligent stuff with it. IOT is in that same stage, but I think it's, I think IOT will happen a lot faster, in part because now we have the data lakes, and we have the open source, and we have the machine learning regimes in place that that can uh, analyze that data as
0: well. Yeah. So, you, so uh, in your comments, you talked about about streaming. So, um, in watching you again at, at Spark Summit, you know, um, you you brought up streaming as a as another type of analytics. We've always, or I've always heard, descriptive, predictive, and prescriptive, uh, but you in, in injected in there streaming. So. Tell us about uh, how streaming is 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 different and, and can be its own category within those those four.
1: Yeah, I mean, analytics is almost a a misnomer um, with streaming. But here's here's why it's not. Here's why it's called streaming analytics, because streaming deals with a time window. All right. So let let's take one of these devices. Let's take a let's take a temperature. Let let's use an IoT example. Let's take a temperature sensor. Okay. That temperature sensor. Uh, might be outputting uh, temperature readings like a hundred times per second. Well what you're interested in is you're interested in the change over one minute. The rate of change. So you're not interested necessarily in the temperature right now. You're interested is, is this engine starting to overheat? So you want to see a rate of change. So what streaming analytics will do, the analytic on that is called a time window that's looking at that rate of change. So the analytic is that rate of change what makes streaming analytics unique is that it's, it does that in real time. It doesn't do it after the fact, right? Because we can yep. take all that data later on and, and, and do that, but it does it in real time. And the second uh, key characteristic of streaming that it can do in real time is it can detect a pattern. So let's just say um, event A comes in and then B comes in within 30 seconds, that indicates an interesting event. It could be fraud, for example. Right. So so imagine how you do that programmatically uh, if you didn't have streaming analytics, you'd have to have a system that always waited for an A. Oh, I got an A. And now you wait 30 seconds and you see if a B comes in that 30 seconds. If it does. Hooray. If it doesn't tear down that A. But in the meantime, you've got a zillion A's coming in. Right. So 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 programmatically, that's very difficult to do. And that's why this whole techno and that was formerly called CEP, by the way, complex event processing. And we view complex event processing as a feature now of streaming analytics. We recently did a wave on on streaming analytics vendors. There are 15. So you had all the the enterprise software vendors, but it's a very active startup space, including uh, a lot of open source as well.
0: Very cool. Yeah, I mean, I love the comment you made. You said all data is born fast. And basically, why wait to do analytics after it's already been laid down on the disk? And I I think that's very astute. Um, And absolutely, I just think I think uh, customers and consumers are just struggling to find that right technology because there are a litany of things. I mean, if you just look in the the call the, the the streaming analytics or the Spark, the Kafka's or the uh, uh, the Flinks, the whatever, like it's tough. It's tough. So talk to us about talk to us kind of quickly about uh, all data is born fast and and why you should focus on on that streaming portion as opposed to waiting until after the fact.
1: Well, we have a we have a concept we call it perishable insights, right? So that so that insights are are perishable. If you don't act on them with a, uh, within a certain amount of time, then the opportunity is gone. And so I want to be really careful to say that data is not perishable, right? Because some people just say, oh, data is perishable. You have to use the data. No, it's the insights, right? Because because right now this data may provide an insight that I have to use right now. But later on, I can use that same data in our predictive model, right? Because I need trends to create a predictive model. So it's not data that's perishable. It's those insights. A lot of companies may be capturing insights in their analytics and making decisions on them. They may be making poor decisions based upon outdated data, but they don't know. Uh, Outdated insights, but they don't know that it's outdated. So because everything's moving faster uh, because of digital, um, this is... It's more important to analyze this uh, quickly and to remember, and I'm impressed that you uh, uh, studied that, uh, that I said all data is born fast. It it is. It's always born in an instant.
2: So we, you know, we covered a lot of different things, right? We started machine learning. We got to advanced analytics, big data, IoT, you know, all these crazy things. And it's a it's a very broad subject. And you're, you're clearly an expert on a lot of those. Is there a subject that we haven't talked about yet that's kind of like maybe on the precipice of being really important to business or you're starting to look at as, we really need to start paying attention to that, that we haven't talked about?
1: Yes, I I think so. I I don't know if I have enough time to talk talk about it, Um, uh, but it's trust, trust in analytics. Because these models are a bit of black boxes, right? So as more companies start to use these models, okay, um, how do we know that, that the models are right? How do we know that they're using the right data? How do we know that they're still working and they're still fresh? So there's a, there's, a, there's a pretty big disconnect right now between the executives who potentially have to make decisions on using these models that may have millions of dollars in implications and the people creating those models and the quality of those models. So I, th- I think trust in analytics and trust in data analytics and models Um, Is going to become a a rising issue here as people start to use it more and more
2: Awesome. Well, I know you've got a lot of things to do and I bet there's a line out the door of people who want to talk to you and get your insights So uh, we're gonna go ahead and shut this uh, this episode down You know our our first question is we hope you can come back again and kind of deep dive into one of these subjects and we can gain some more insights Mm
1: Happy, happy yep. to. Brian, Brian, thank you.
2: Yeah, and then our next question is, where can somebody see you next where you're going to be out there kind of giving to public your views and sharing things like a Spark Summit or one of those things? What's next for you?
1: Uh, well, my next, uh, I'm at a conference in Berlin uh, speaking about trust analytics. Maybe that's why it's top of mind. Um, after that, I'm not sure. Uh, oh, uh, IBM uh, Insights. Awesome. Uh, it, world of watson in, in vegas and you know i go to a lot of these things
2: so uh i'm out there awesome that's great well on behalf of the hot Owl, i am brian carpenter You're with me and i am brent piotti mike thank you oh, so much yeah. for your time
0: thanks brian thanks brett good to be here see ya. all right mike. have a good one all right bye